0: Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. This morning, before we come again to to worship the Lord as we uh, spend some time at the close of our gathering, uh, loving Him and honouring Him, we're going to continue in a series that we uh, we began uh, last Sunday. We're calling it Futurology. And, uh, you know, it's actually about understanding... Uh, What the working and the gifting of God in terms of prophecy, which is speaking the otherwise unknowable things of God into his world at his request. This is what prophecy is. Oftentimes it is about things future. Things to come soon, things to come way, way distant. But God speaks things that no human mind and no human heart could know. And he does so because he wants to reveal himself. He does so because he wants to reveal his ways. He does so because he wants you to be able to walk with him well. And so all through the Old Testament of the Bible, God was raising up prophets. He did so in a very specific way as part of a line right there at the beginning, Deuteronomy chapter 18. You can read it for yourself. God's chatting with Moses. They had that kind of relationship. And God speaking with Moses, who functioned in a prophetic way, speaking the things of God, he said, You know, after you, I'm going to raise up another prophet from within your community, the, the Israelites, the people of God. And he's going to speak my words fully and completely. People will understand them, will be able to follow them. And in a sense, he was talking about all of these prophets who were going to come along through the history of God's people people like I don't know Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah and you know we're looking at Daniel who functioned in a slightly different way but he he spoke the unknowable things of God but ultimately what God is speaking about to Moses he's speaking about Jesus you knew that was coming didn't you the answer is always Jesus always And Jesus was to be the the culmination, the fulfillment of the prophetic urge of God, that Jesus Christ would not only speak the things of God, but he would be God himself. God, the very word of God, John's gospel teaches us, made flesh and dwelt among us. In another version of the Bible, it's like Jesus became a person and moved into the neighborhood, you know, became human just like us, didn't didn't lose his divinity, his godness, but he moved into our neighborhood just like us so that we might know fully and completely God's heart. See, without Jesus, it is unknowable how to be right with God. You know, the law, we looked at it just recently, it reveals the standards of God, it calls us into ways, but we, we, we can't do it, we can't fulfill it. We can't complete the perfect ways of God. And so Jesus comes into the picture. He comes into the equation that he himself has written. And and he's the solution. He's the hope. He's the very revelation of the heart of God, the wisdom of God. Jesus was able to say, and for this to be true, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he went on to say, nobody can come to the Father except by me, through me, by means of my life. But what does that mean, of course? If there's no other way, then Jesus is the way. and We can come to God. And this is how prophecy has come into our world. And, you know, we've been looking at this idea of Old Testament prophecy and the revelation that springs up. In the coming weeks, next few weeks of the month, we're going to look at at what prophecy looks like now within uh, the church, now that Jesus has come. This morning, again, just considering what things look like then. Prophecy. Seeing what may be. Knowing, hearing what may be from God. Thinking about the future. Does anyone like to think about the future? I like to make plans? Do you like to do that kind of thing? Yeah? Do you remember, um, did you watch when you were a kid perhaps or... When you had kids, I don't know, depending on your age. Do you remember the Jetsons? Do you remember that cartoon on telly? All all the young people are like, you are so old, Pastor Greg. All the old people are like, you are so young, Pastor I like you more. I like the older people. Uh, A few of you, you're with me on this. The Jetsons, it was a cartoon. Um, I think it was in the 60s originally, but then they showed it again in the 80s, which is my time Um, And uh, it was all about the future and a family living in the future. Do you remember what it looked like? Yeah? They had their own, like, personal little flying saucers that they would go around in. And uh, jetpacks. Do you remember the jetpacks? I'm the only person excited about this. And uh, they would eat these incredible meals of, like, little kind of colorful cubes and things that were just kind of magically... It was all very Star Trek. It was quite exciting. And that was the vision of the future. Do you remember Back to the Future? Do you remember those movies? getting a bit more excited now, aren't we? Back to the future, we're all quite excited about that. And uh, and, and, and there he goes into the future, and people are kind of wearing clothes that, that look a bit like astronauts or something, I don't know, it's all very shiny and futuristic. Hoverboards, just one word for you. Hoverboards, wasn't that exciting? I'm the only person who's excited this morning. I'm full of a cold as well, but I can get more excited than you. Um, hover. so exciting. A vision of the future, what does the future look like? And here we are, 30 years on from back to the future and a bit more. Loads more than the Jetsons. I have one question this morning. Where is my jetpack? That's what I want to know. I was promised a jetpack for the future and I do not yet have a jetpack. I want to know what's gone wrong with the future. I want to know what's gone wrong with human progress. I think our priorities must be pretty messed up, I don't know. Last night I was watching telly and a famous actress tried to sell me a Ford Fiesta. Um, She did. and um, She probably did for some of you as well. And she's she's driving around in this Ford Fiesta, which looks greater than any Ford Fiesta I've ever seen. I don't know how they do it on telly, but she's whizzing around and she's also talking to a camera at the same time. It's completely unsafe. Uh, She should be pulled over. But she's telling me that progress is happening. She's telling me the world is getting better in every which way. And she kind of goes to, I don't know, there's images of workplaces and factories and all the technology and classrooms and everything apparently is getting better. You can tell me where the classrooms are getting better than the past. I don't know. But uh, progress, she says. She says, we're getting there. We're going further. It's great. And then you're supposed to look at the Ford Fiesta and think, My word, haven't Ford Fiesta's come a long way? And you rush out to your local dealership and say, Progress! Give me one of your fine cars. And that's the whole plan. Of course, as she swept through the streets in her dandy new Fiesta, she missed a few things about the arc of human history. Um, She didn't, for instance, mention the heart ripped out of a small community in Texas as an enraged gunman, felled half the congregation. She didn't mention that. It doesn't fit within the idea of progress, does it? That somebody could go with a gun and kill me. doesn't fit. She didn't mention the fact that hundreds and thousands of people are starving in Yemen as we sit here today, because even the UN can't get humanitarian aid into the country anymore as... Saudi Arabia and Iran wrestle over this other country as though it's their own plaything. should she didn't mention that it, it wouldn't sell fiestas it doesn't fit within the arc of human history she didn't mention that in today's commemoration this year 100 years since the battle of Passchendaele as part of the first world war and the, the terror that was unleashed and people thought surely this will put an end to war She didn't mention that it didn't and that it doesn't and that we have no way of knowing whether it ever will because it doesn't fit within the arc of human progress, of everything getting better and better and better. But hey, as she went into classrooms, she saw an old chalkboard and then a overhead projector. Do you remember overhead projectors? Progress. Wasn't that a vision of the future? And then interactive whiteboards of today and well, hey, as long as we've got interactive whiteboards, the world must be getting to be a better place, mustn't it? Hmm. I think it's understandable that we have this sense of progress. It it is inbuilt into the the nature of humanity. It's a God-given sense. You know, I talk about our lad Judah from time to time. Not very much, obviously, but uh, occasionally he gets a mention. And uh, his life is a life of progress, and at the moment, and I, I feel like I've been saying at the moment, he's teething for about five years. That's um, what it feels like. <laughs> Teeth—they come one by one in his case, and slowly. Um, but progress and steps—they come. They're coming much quicker. And and you know he, he's up to—he's done nine steps in one go. Yeah, amen. Um, I just want to celebrate his progress for a moment obviously when it comes time to potty train him we'll just talk it through with him and he'll just go straight into it, will be amazing at that, he's going to knock it out of the park um, progress it does seem to be a part of how we're made to be and yet there's a big disconnect the progress that people shout about and lord and promise, it's not always there, there's almost an arrogant belief in the inevitability and the rightness of human progress. A little while back, there was a man, a philosopher, Francis Fukuyama, and he wrote a book that was called The End of History and the Last Man. And he said, hey guys, we've done it. We've made it. We've fixed humanity and the world. 1992, put it in your diary. That's when it happened. And at the end of the Cold War, he said, what we may be witnessing is not just the end of the Cold War or the passing of a particular period of post-war history, but it's the end of history as such. He said, that is the end point of mankind's ideological evolution and the universalization of Western liberal democracy as the final form of human government. Does anybody understand what he's talking about? No? No, No, I think we're all on the same boat there. But he says, it's the end of history, we've done it. We've come up with the big idea, guys. Now we just need to kind of just get a bit better at it. And as you know, nothing bad has happened in the world since 1992, has it? (laughs) Hmm... there's this sense within our world and it's a sense that leads to disappointment and worry and fear that everything really should be or or is being refined and improved and all is progressing to a narrow focus as old-fashioned ideas, especially stuff like religion or God. As long as we can just junk all the old-fashioned stuff and just, you know, become nicely modern and sensible, then everything will just get a bit better. It doesn't always work out like that. The Bible has a different idea on the arc of human history. And Daniel is in the middle of a place of struggle and of difficulty, of pain, none of which we might add was by his own doing or his own making. And yet into this time of this disconnect, because Daniel was a, he was a person of promise. You see, God, God is not saying that everything's just you know, going, going to be worse and worse and worse and there's no hope. God's a person of promise, not a person. God is a, God is a God of promise. He speaks into the future, and yet Daniel is living in a place where the promises seem to be at best delayed, at worst completely broken. And so into this comes vision. It comes understanding, it comes knowledge from God, it comes the prophetic. Should we read some together? Um, if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. And it's going to come up on the screen, I'm sure, as well. And we're going to read some more of, of what God enabled Daniel to see and to understand. And you can head to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 15. So Daniel has seen a vision. It's a vision about A ram and a goat and there's a lot of specific stuff in the vision um, but it's not very clear and then in verse 15 we pick up the story and it says when I Daniel had seen the vision I sought to understand it again that's Daniel's character he wants to understand what God is about and what God is doing And behold there stood before me one having the appearance of a man And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called Gabriel. So this one who has the appearance of a man is this Gabriel, an angel of God. And the voice comes and says, Gabriel, make this man, Daniel, understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me, made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. That was the empire that had conquered Daniel's people, the people of God. And they were living under the rule of those people. Though, how is that the promise? Well, they were struggling with it. That's the ram. And the goat in your vision, says Gabriel, is the king of Greece, the nation, the empire to come. And the greater horn between his eyes is the first king. As for that horn, as for the horn that was broken... In place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise, his nation, but not with his power. This is speaking of things to come. You know, Bible scholars and historians would point to the the truth that uh, there was that great horn, that great king of the Greek empire, Alexander, who massively extended the bounds of that empire and yet cut off so young, died so young, and his empire broken up into, guess, four pieces, just like the Bible had said it would be, each without the power of the former. Verse 23... And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. It's an indication that God is in control of all of the ways of men. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men, And the people who are the saints, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and of the mornings, because the vision said there's going to be 2,300 evenings and mornings of days of this period happening, that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it again. Insight into the character of somebody who hears from God. Not just, oh, that's nice. Not just, oh, see the devastation. I'm glad it's not touching me. No. A person who's appalled and devastated, moved in heart, and even within their gut, within their body, as as to the, the affairs of mankind and the trouble that will come. Daniel goes on to pray tonight. We're going to consider Daniel's prayer of chapter 9 and we're going to begin to pray together when we gather tonight for our extended time of prayer and of praise. But then pick it up again with me in verse 24 of chapter 9. And again, Daniel's prayed and Gabriel has been sent with an answer to Daniel and he speaks to Daniel and in verse 24 he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophets, and to anoint a most holy place. This is a, a commission to the people of God. Know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... To the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. There was an easy reading from the scriptures, wasn't it? Completely understandable, isn't it? It's a doddle. Yeah. You got all that? Should we move on, do something else now? As we looked at prophecy, we acknowledged the reason for prophecy. It's not so that you know everything about everything. What did Jesus say in speaking to his disciples about the end of all things? He said, come on, nobody knows the day or the hour of my coming again, just the Father. What do we find back in... Uh, The Old Testament, back in the book of Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our kids forever, that we may walk in his ways. So God reveals what he wants to reveal, and he reveals the things that he considers to be important to us, so that we may know him better and walk in his ways better. Now, this morning, to be honest, we don't simply have the time to go through every possible interpretation of these passages of Scripture. If you want to do that, can I recommend that you go speak to Ian McKaysey, and he'll put on a class for you, and uh, you can dig it over for the next... Uh, Ian's shaking his head. Why would I do that to him? Ah, disgraceful. Ah, you can go and do that. We are going to pick out some important things, though. Daniel did not see in the visions that God gave to him a world that simply got better and better by human endeavour. Daniel was living in the seat of power of the strongest empire with the pinnacle of human understanding, of wisdom, of science, of literature. It was all where Daniel was. And yet the vision of God comes to Daniel, the speaking of the things to come, the times to come, and it doesn't say, isn't everybody doing great? They're amazing, aren't they, these Babylonians? Those Persians, even better. The Greeks, my word, they're going to have it all together. Everything's going to be great. And, hey, we mentioned the Romans last week. Amazing. And then everything will be fixed. You will have created heaven on earth, you incredible people. Utopia shall arise and all will be well. I tell you what, seeing as you've got it all so good, God said, I'll go on holiday. Is that what Daniel received from God? Far from it. Though you may not understand all of the ins and the outs, what Daniel received from God was a vision of turmoil. It was a vision of trouble. It was a vision of waiting and of the patience that must come with waiting. It was a vision of the faithlessness of so many within his world, and the faithfulness that he must adhere to. As those kingdoms rose and fall uh, through Daniel's visions, and the kingdoms were scattered and broken, and he saw those horns coming on the, on the goat, and they uh, were crazy, wasn't they? The greatness of of some, it's not talking about how they are genuinely great and to be admired, it's talking about pride. As we look back from our vantage point, Bible scholars and theologians and historians would would look to see how even uh, in the time to come between Daniel uh, and Jesus, there would be a time when uh, these visions, these prophecies would be fulfilled and, and proud rulers would rise up. One, Antiochus Epiphanes, who would come and he would bring about this these desolations to the people of God. Even going into their temple and desecrating the temple offerings, which were so personal and so precious to them as their means of connecting with God. And desolations would come and Daniel is given time scales. It talks about days and about weeks and about times and it's so hard to unpick these things and many have tried and yet we see in principle these things coming to pass and we believe that God is not simply putting numbers and days and weeks in just to say, oh, I'll I'll throw them whatever, they don't know any better. Truthfully, there, there is truth here. There's revelation, there's wisdom here. Daniel sought to understand it you get to the end of the book of daniel right at the close and you know there's even more that's unpacked and unfolded to daniel and talking of the times of the end and daniel coming to this he says he says tell me when's it going to happen be more plain please god be more plain messenger of god gabriel just tell me the details. Give me the dates and the times. And da, 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 da. And the word of God comes to Daniel. Hey, you go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. As we read of the opening of something of human history and of the future, there's a temptation to want to get ourselves into the rabbit holes of understanding. and I understand those temptations. It's good to wrestle with the Scriptures and to try to come to understanding. It absolutely is. But as Daniel wrestled with these things as his heart, because it was more of a matter of the heart than of the head for Daniel, as his heart was moved by God's revelation, ultimately the Word of God comes to him and says, Hey, Daniel, go and do your job. Go and be faithful where you are. Get about the life that you've been given. Go your way until you're called to me. And you will find your place at the end of days. Hey, there's only an end of days because God, and the Bible calls the Ancient of Days, has decreed it. If you can't be interested in the end of days because of God's coming to this earth, then I don't know why you would be interested in the end of days at all. If your heart is not longing for the coming of King Jesus, the one we see at times as the Son of Man. You know, in the Gospels, 50 times Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man, harking back to some of these prophecies, but only by one person, by Jesus himself. (laughs) He was keen, desperate in fact, that we should understand that these things are of importance so that our hearts may be moved about the brokenness of our world and we should long for the coming of King Jesus. I would say to you, go on, read the book of Daniel. If you want to be weirded out even more, read the book of Ezekiel. It's proper crazy. There's like flaming wheels of fire with eyes in them. It's it's mental Read these things. If you want to be weirded out even more, read the book of Revelation. It's just crazy. And it's great. And there's such wisdom and truth and understanding and all the things that are to come. It is all there. History shows it time and time and time and time again. But if you can't get excited about the coming of King Jesus, if that isn't your heart, then you've completely missed the point. that isn't your longing, if that isn't your desire, if that isn't your waking prayer and your wakefulness of night. I believe quite clearly the scriptures teach that Daniel was praying. He was praying for God's kingdom. And in his time, what he saw was the restoration of Jerusalem. He saw a temple renewed. He saw a people back where they belonged in communion with their God. That's what he was longing for. And into that circumstance, God gives him these visions that it ain't going to be easy. There's a time of waiting and faithfulness. There will come restoration. Things will be built up again. But then there will be trouble again. There'll be brokenness. There'll be horrific abominations. All of this will come. Daniel's longing wasn't to know the future. Daniel's longing was for the kingdom of God. That's the guy who got the vision. I want to ask you today, what is your longing for? You know, your calling isn't to go to the city of Jerusalem as it is currently and to see things built in the physical. That's God's business. Your calling is to see how the Bible teaches us that God's intent is to be with his people the city of God even come into this world the Bible teaches us from the lips of Jesus that this is what we should pray for your kingdom come God your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is your longing for the coming of the kingdom of Jesus is this your longing? If that's your longing, I assure you, just as we found prophesied in the Bible, in Joel, and as was the case at the day of Pentecost, should be the case today. If, If your longing is for the coming of the kingdom of Jesus, if your longing is for the coming of the King Jesus, then you will see visions. You will dream dreams. If you by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, can embed this longing within your sons and your daughters, and I'll tell you what they will prophesy. That these things are not removed from the person of God, nor should they be. What are you longing for? What are you longing for? You know, we talked quite a bit this year about the Reformation, And I find it just endlessly fascinating. 500 years since Martin Luther pinned those theses to that church door in Germany. The repercussions were felt for some time. You know, there were wars and struggles and troubles, just like Daniel is prophesying about those kinds of things. 1621 in France... Faithful reformed Christians who said, You know, we go to the scriptures for God, not to human authority. We believe in God by faith alone. We are saved through grace alone. It is Jesus alone. They were faithful to truth, and yet being faithful to truth doesn't always make life easy. Does anybody know that? You know, if you're faithful to God, does it make life easy? Not always. 1621, these faithful French Christians, the Huguenots, did I say it right? Yeah, thanks, I nice. appreciate it. They were being oppressed by the new Catholic king who he thought he knew what was right and so he oppressed these faithful Christians and they found themselves in La Rochelle under siege and no food could come in. Eventually they blockaded the port so no food could come in from England because you know we, we were good then. I don't know, how about, I don't know. Nothing could come in. It got so bad that they they killed everything they had in the city, even rats. And they were eating the rats. Anybody fancy a little rat souffle? No? (laughs) Some of you do, you're weird. (laughs) It got worse. They took their shoes off their feet and they boiled up the shoe leather in vinegar and ate that just to try and stay alive. There they were, faithful to the word of God. They wouldn't budge. And it was estimated that between ten and 15,000 of them perished in that siege. And at the height of the siege, the French king's representative, Cardinal Richelieu, you know him from The Three Musketeers, don't you? He was a bad guy. He came to the siege and he said, look, we'll give you food. We'll let you go. We'll give you freedom. Everything's going to be fine. All you have to do is you have to say that you'll submit... To the king in Paris, submit to the French king. And they thought about this, of course, munching on their bit of leather while they buried their dead relatives. And the word came back, and it came back in Latin, because they spoke a bit of that in those days, but we'll translate it. And they said to this representative of the king, they said, Regem habemus, which means we have a king. We have a king. And The cardinal said, there's a king in Paris. You need to submit yourself to him. Give up your Bible nonsense. Give up your faith in God. You've got the church. Who needs God? Just submit to the king in Paris. And with those last little bits of strength in their body, they say we won't submit to such a false way and such a false king we have a king we have a king they knew and we should today that humanity is not simply by our will or our abilities destined to progress to perfection They knew the cruelty that people could inflict upon people. They knew the arrogance and the wickedness that can exist within the human heart. But more important than all of this, they knew who their Savior was. They could say confidently, even though their voices may be cracking, we have a king. The king of the nations, as Isaiah prophesied the one sent by the Ancient of Days as Daniel saw it, this Son of Man, Jesus himself, sent to deal with evil and sin once and for all. This is the arc of human history. This is the need of our world. We wear poppies on our chests in remembrance of those who have given so much, and yet that kind of sacrifice Cannot hope to attend to the ultimate need of humanity. What was Daniel told? 70 weeks are decree to your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place, I would tell you that there is no barrel of no gun that can bring about such a thing. There is no good intent of even the most righteous earthly army that can bring about such a thing. This is the work of the cross. This is the work of Christ Jesus. I point you to things said long ago so that you may look to what happened 2,000 years ago upon a cross. That you may see Jesus. That you may be so powerfully moved by the one who knows our inadequacies and yet does not speak death alone to us, but rather speaks the way of life even through his own body broken and his own blood shed i point you to such a cross long ago so that you may look ahead to the day of tomorrow and you may determine god what is it that i am longing for what is it that i am longing for in this world do i want to know more you'll never know as much as god you'll never know as much as god Scriptures teach that God's eyes are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. They run to and fro throughout the whole earth, that God may give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. You will never know as much as God. God reasons with you today, and he says, Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come. And what will happen? You'll never know as much as God. The prophets have come and they proclaim Jesus. Jesus has come, proclaiming himself, for none other is necessary. I mentioned back to the future before. Which way would you rather go? Yeah? If you had a DeLorean with a flux capacitor I know these movies too well do you go back or do you go forward what's the temptation do you want to go back nostalgia dealing with regrets perhaps do you want to go forward it's all you have tomorrow and the next day and the next why do you want to go forward do you want to go forward because your ears are tickled by wisdom unsearchable, by knowledge unknowable, except by God's revelation to you? Do you long for the coming of King Jesus? Do you long for the coming of King Jesus? We'll worship the Lord together. It was a few nights ago three young gentlemen and knocked on my door one was from America it was very polite really well turned out two of them for the, were from the Philippines get a whoop for the Philippines whoop whoop. Yeah. just me more than the Filipinos I don't, that's disgraceful they were beautiful people and, um, and they asked me whether I wanted to talk about Jesus That was their first mistake. (laughs) Half an hour later. (laughs) They didn't understand. The Bible teaches you. You can see Acts chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 1, that in times past God spoke through the prophets, but now has come Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it all. He prepares you for what is to come certainly he does but your real preparation is to be in Jesus Bible says you've got an advantage when the Holy Spirit is within you it's your advantage that's what you need and these guys said do you know it it isn't enough they said to me in 1850 something or other this wonderful chap Joseph Smith he happened upon some new revelation and you know, he found a way with a couple of stones to make some specks and understand these things and write this new book, the Book of Mormon. I have a Book of Mormon now. It's my first ever. I can't read it. It's so old-fashioned. It's impossible. I don't know how to get into it. And I said to them, guys, you don't need another prophet like that. I said, we've got Jesus. He's the culmination of that line of prophecy. You don't need someone to say, oh, and there's a new thing. <laughs> you don't need it. You need Jesus. And the eyes didn't get it. The heart didn't get it. And they said, oh, let me just tell you a little thing about this book. And they said, you know, if, you, if you'll just read the Book of Mormon with an open heart, Just pray to the Holy Spirit. This is the words they used. Pray to the Holy Spirit so that he'll reveal this truth to you. We're certain that you'll understand. Come on. Oh, that God would make me more like Daniel because I didn't go to bed and stay up all night. I wasn't off work for days because my heart was appalled. In the moment, I longed for them, but you know, I went in and had my tea. It's all they need and yet they're longing for something else they're saying oh if we just have more prophecy if we just have a bit more, a bit more, a bit more a bit of it. you don't need it you need Jesus everything you find in your Bible speaks of Jesus every day of our lives should speak of Jesus you want to see visions and get a vision of Jesus first you want to dream dreams and dream of Jesus first you want to prophesy then speak of Jesus first for God's sake and for the sake of the lost open your mouth and speak of Jesus and nothing else will come I promise you speak of Jesus speak of Jesus let your hearts be appalled by the brokenness of your world Appalled that the very best efforts of mankind cannot, cannot hope to attend to all of our brokennesses. As your heart is appalled, be moved, be moved by your Saviour. There is a hope and his name is Jesus. Does anybody want to speak of Jesus?